correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here tonight with my good friend Steve again. Hello. Hello, Steve. How are you today? Oh, you know. Nice day out today, too. It was a weird day, man. Well, yeah. We got thunderstorms in the middle of it, but it's been nice other than that. Yeah, well, windy, very windy yeah. at times, but yeah. compared to what was it two, three days ago, it was like fifteen degrees when I left for 40 work in degrees. the morning. Yeah. And today it was yeah, it was sixty when I left for work at the same yeah, time. Yesterday it was seventy, so yeah. It's nice. It, it is nice. It's nice that I go outside and enjoy the weather. Spring is here at least for today. <laughs> <laughs> Till tomorrow, then spring is gone. Spring's supposed to be gone this weekend, by the way. Yeah, I thought I'd heard that. It well welcome to weather where we live yeah welcome to <laughs> western pennsylvania <laughs> yep so before we get into whatever it is we're going to tangent off of today mm-hmm. what are we doing for a podcast of the week this week steve well our podcast of the week is werewolf the apocalypse well werewolf the podcast yes which is about werewolf the apocalypse the role-playing game it's kind of a retrospective podcast and your host josh and uh an array of co-hosts and guests Talk about all kinds of things yeah, around that game from different, they've been doing a lot of reviews of different books. They've talked about different aspects of the game as far as clans or events. Their most recent episode as we speak was talking about moots, which are a social event for werewolves. It was actually a really interesting show. I, I listened to it, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, a week or so ago. So yeah, Josh took a break there for a little while, but he's back and, and putting out shows and, uh, if you're into Werewolf the Apocalypse, definitely worth a listen. Yeah. So, what's our podcast topic for the week, Steve? Well, I thought, being as we just recently did an episode about writing mm-hmm. and prep and, and all that, that maybe we could go a little further down that road and talk about bad guys and villains and, you know, reoccurring villains. and Yeah, because we, we didn't make it very far down that road the last time we tried well, talking about it. But we were talking more about the process. Yeah. And in part of that, I also realized that that is kind of one of my shortcomings for me personally, is that I'm not that good at writing out campaigns and stuff. Like, I, I feel like I'm pretty darn good at running a game once I've got it at the table. But getting it ready to take to the table is something I'm not as good at. And, you know, you've done a lot of even just recreational writing over the years. I mean, I took some creative writing courses way back in college, but I've forgotten most of that because it's been a long, long time. (laughs) Right. And I didn't use it for a long time. And so, yeah, I just thought, you know, like I have some ideas around some of it, but yeah, I figured we could maybe talk about creating, picking, using villains, bad guys, antagonists, making them reoccurring or, or, you know, how you do all that. Yeah. Have a conversation around that. Well, absolutely. So I want to preface one thing when it comes to, and, and I'll say this just straight up when it comes to creative writing and creative processes, 
everybody is different. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying that my way is the only way of doing this. As far as villains, I think one of the big things to do is you have multiple dials, let's call them. So let's let me start from a point. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm already getting off on a multiple tangents. Steve, First we point, haven't even started somewhere for you to go on a tangent from yet. I know. I'm lost. I'm, I'm lost and I haven't even gotten out the map yet. Anyways. It's the mental coffee can of doom. Yes. <laughs> that's our title episode. <laughs> or that's the title for the episode. Anyways. Let's start with our main topic. Our main topic is talking about writing villains, right? And Mm -hmm. where to go with that, how to do that whole thing. For me, when I start a villain or I start a bad guy, there's there's a difference between those two, right? Like Mm -hmm. a villain in my mind is somebody who is who is coming back. A villain is your reoccurring bad guy. He's maybe pulling the strings in the background. It's the reason that you're having issues, right? That's your villain. A bad guy is maybe like a like an encounter or an arc, some might call it. Mm-hmm. When you're starting with a villain, you have when you're when you're starting with a bad guy in general, you have a couple options on where you can go and how to get your players involved with that. So the big thing in my mind with bad guys and villains is player engagement, right? Mm-hmm. You gotta have your players engaged and understanding why this is a bad guy. Otherwise, you end up with this situation of the players being like, well, I'm not going to stop him. Well, why are you not going to stop him? Because I kind of agree with him. Like, it's the Thanos problem, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Where people were like, uh, you know, he's he's wrong in how he's doing it, but he's right in a way. And it's like, well, but he's still the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that when you're starting off with a villain or starting off with a bad guy, you have a legitimate reason on why your players should want to stop this character. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's your main complications. What does this character do that makes them a bad guy? Why is this a problem? Is it that they kick puppies for breakfast? Like, is that what they do? They wake up in the morning and they're like, bring me my puppy. And that's what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Like as silly as that is, that's a driving force. You know, it, it it's are they comically evil or are they just are they a force for bad in the world? You know, are are they doing comically evil things or are they pushing the world in a direction that is it is going to make it worse off for everyone, right? Counter to the purposes of your players, for lack of a better Right. And understanding the purpose of your players, understanding their drives and motivations helps you make villains better because, and I'll, I'll I'll be honest when I'm writing and I sit down and I go, this is going to be my bad guy. My bad guy is, is very, very loose. I, I don't have, I don't have a, a, I don't have a defined characteristic until after my players have started playing on what the evil character or what the antagonist is going to be doing in the campaign. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is actually quite simple. I want to know how my players react to other things and what, like I just said, what drives them, what pushes them forward, what is their wants or needs, and how can I use that and sort of go counter to their wants and needs and make it a hurdle and a burden for them to get past this, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I do when I'm starting out making a villain is that like I will start off with a minor villain. 
when I'm building my campaigns, I'm not going just based like, oh, I think this will work. I'm going based off what I'm stealing from movies, books, television, everything, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you're when you're setting up a story, you're setting up a minor villain to lead into a major villain, right? Let's talk Star Wars, okay? Star Wars, the first episode or episode four, the first released episode of Star Wars, right? A New Hope is about Luke Skywalker going up against Darth Vader. That's the whole drive of that movie. He Mm -hmm. doesn't. One of his party members does. And they lose the party member. But that's the crux of that story is, hey, there's a Death Star. It can blow up planets. It's being run by this guy. His name's Darth Vader. You need to go stop Darth Vader from blowing up planets, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's the first. He's the first villain right Mm -hmm. you're gonna go and you're gonna fight him but he's not the big bad we don't get introduced to the big bad until the next movie when we get introduced to the emperor right Mm -hmm. and you realize that oh well vader is is the bad guy vader is the guy that's executing all the plans but the person pulling the strings is palpatine is the emperor, he is pulling all the strings from above everything. And he's the reason why there's a Death Star and the reason why there's a new Death Star being built. And the reason why the um, Empire is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a new goal of not necessarily stopping Darth Vader, but stopping the Emperor from doing any more evil in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you use Darth Vader to get in the way of our party and to trip them up to perpetuate the emperor's plans, right? Like if it wasn't for Darth Vader hiring Boba Fett, Han Solo would have never been put into kryptonite, which would have just allowed the party to get to the emperor faster. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's that complication, right? So you're, you're having a, a major villain and minor villains. And then you get to the end, you co-opt Darth Vader at the end of that. Mm -hmm. But you have this final climactic battle with the Emperor, and now you've defeated the big bad and the minor villain. Right. Boba Fett got pushed off into the Sarlacc pit. Darth Vader died because you had co-opted him to your case to help defeat the Emperor. Right. Right. And so when I'm writing villains and I'm writing bad guys, I'm thinking about this structure and I'm going, all right, I'm going to start with a villain that is over the top and maybe comically larger than than what I want my main bad guy to be just to see how my players react. Mm-hmm. If my players laugh at him, well, then I know that I need to take a villain and make them. If my players laugh at my comically over the top villain, then I know that when I introduce the bad guy, he needs to be more. He doesn't need to be comically evil, right? He needs right. to be more of a. a well, to a certain point, you know what, because of what your player that you know what not to make him. Right. Exactly. That's what I was trying to drive at. And so now that I know what what not to make him and I can I can push my players in a way, I can also manipulate them and make them feel some type of way about our main bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like by the time I'm getting to introduce my main bad guy, I'm I'm really understanding more of characters motivations players wants and needs like everybody has basic wants and needs and to deprive them of that is maybe what your main 
your your first bad guy is going to do, mm-hmm. but their their desires and personal wants and needs are what you need to know so you can have your big bad really want to deprive them of that. Mm-hmm. Do they have you know? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it sounds like part of what you're you're saying here is that effectively you you layer them right. You know, like where you have and and to a certain point, Vader I think is more initially menacing than Palpatine. Mm -hmm. He's not when you know the story because you, whatever, but on a, what do you want to say? Just purely appearance level. Vader is this big, tall, you know, broad shouldered Hulk. that makes menacing breathing noises. And he's voiced by James Earl Jones. And he's, yes, he's voiced by James Earl Jones. And Palpatine is a freaking raisin in a bathrobe. (laughs) Right. But you (laughs) You also feel you, you also, because, so what I'll say also is is because Vader is a menacing figure, when you see Vader interacting with Palpatine and Vader is essentially scared of Palpatine, mm-hmm. it drives an emotion to you that, oh, this, because the big menacing guy is scared of this guy, he's a problem. Right. And, and that's. That's a important distinction as well, is that when you're doing that, you have to make sure that you can't have a big villain that your your other villains aren't going to respect. I mean, you can. And that's a really interesting story. And I'll, I'll maybe get into that a little bit later on, because that's a different different problem. But um, you want to make sure that your players understand that, you know, hey, the the bad guy that you've been fighting is working under this big bad for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and Vader's even in hindsight, Vader's not working under Palpatine because Palpatine has dirt on him. Vader is genuinely scared of Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that's something to keep in mind. So let me go back to talking about what happens when your villains don't respect the big bad. Mm-hmm. Let me just tangent off of that for a real quick second while I try and get myself brought back around. Your villains not respecting the big bad becomes a different problem because what you're doing with that is essentially a power play, okay? Or, or how you should be thinking about it is essentially a power play. So if you're if you're going to have a big bad and you want to have your villains, they don't respect him. You need to keep in mind that... One of your villains, one of the guys working under the big bad, is gunning for that position. Mm-hmm. And so I'm all about drawing the logical conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. I've I've talked about it a lot with other things, but especially when you're setting up a villain structure. What happens if Darth Vader takes over? What happens if, say, what happens if Vader doesn't die, right? Mm-hmm. Then he what does he defeat the good guys kick them out you know and and now we have the the reign of vader and now we got to deal with him as the big bad and we're dealing with what is his underlings look like and how does vader deal with it you know he's a very different kind of character what does it look like when the bad guy gets defeated just to be usurped right right and making those logical leaps is kind of important if you're setting up a story where you want to have the bad guys not respect the main villain and actively work to overthrow him or usurp him to become the new main villain, right? Mm -hmm. 
because there's a reason why they aligned with him or them in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I, I keep saying bad guy, but it could be, you know, you can have bad, whatever. Right. That's just a general term. But what I'm getting at is there's a reason why there's a reason why your underlings aligned with the bad guy to begin with. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why they aligned with the bad guy in the first place. And so if they at any point feel that the bad guy is not furthering what they want, you can get to this point where, you know, they usurp now they're pushing for what they wanted in the first place and they're going about it a different way and it becomes a different problem. It becomes a different problem for the players. It becomes a different problem for the world because you went from maybe, maybe you went from a very serious bad guy to well, what happens when the guy that kicks puppies takes over? Well, mm. I, I guess all puppies get kicked. I don't know. Like, what does that mean for the world? Right. Mm -hmm. And understanding, understanding your, your, not just your players, but understanding your bad guys wants and needs are really, really important. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that their wants and needs are just as important of driving the story as your players' wants and needs. The bad guys are people too. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, in that vein, though, where you were talking about the, the usurping and things, is that also a thing where maybe sometimes, and like this would probably be more of a thing in, in a longer form campaign, and we've talked you know, about where right now both of us are kind of in this short to mid campaign phase, mm -hmm. but where you have maybe an underling that appears to go turncoat to help the players take down the big bad only to then flop back and reinsert himself and themselves in place of your former head bad guy. Yeah. Th that's emotional manipulation of players. I mean, that's an evil tactic. It's great. <laughs> well, I mean, like I think as long as one, you don't want to overuse it, but no, that's you get away with that once. <laughs> yeah. You'll get away with that once. And then the players, unless your players really didn't pick up on what happened, you'll get away with that once. Well, but you don't even have to do it in the full emotional manipulation, right? It's, it goes back to the, you know, what was the Sun Tzu saying? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, no, the enemy of your enemy is your temporary ally, I think is probably a better yeah. way or a, a more cynical way to view it. Let's put it that way. Well, look, look at it this way, right? We both watched the new Star Wars franchise, right? Mm-hmm. You remember General Hux? Yeah. Uh, do you remember his story arc in that franchise? Not off the top of my head. Hux was a Hux was a a general under Snoke working. Well, Hux was a general under Snoke working under Kylo Ren. Hux got fed up with dealing with Kylo Ren defected to the other side and then sort of they didn't really do much else with him but had we followed that to its logical conclusion hux would have done exactly what you were talking about waited till kylo ren was defeated and then turned coat on the good guys to take back over the the empire right mm -hmm. and again that's that just like you were talking about you have a, a villain whose motivations are yeah, I'm bad, but I don't want to even, I, I'm not this bad, right? Mm -hmm. And you can have interesting stories where your your bad guy is helping the player stop a bigger bad guy. And saying emotional manipulation is kind of a, 
how do I put this? It's a loaded term, right? Right. It is, it is very much so emotional manipulation, but it's guised in just this idea that, oh, well, they like at the end of the day, that character still used your players to get what they wanted, right? They manipulated. It may not be emotional. Maybe it's just manipulation, but at the end of the day, they manipulated your players to get what they wanted. Well, just before we get too far off of it, I think, how do I want to say this? I'm not going to say that emotional manipulation can't be a bad thing because it clearly can be if, if it's done maliciously for certain. However, I think emotional manipulation is what's at the heart of engaging storytelling. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it, it sounds like a bad word in a way. It's, it's only bad if it's done for bad, bad. bad. It's, it's only bad if it's done for bad reasons. Right. Yeah. It, it, at the, at the heart of it, every story is mostly manipulating you in some way or another. Right. Right. Or it should be. It may not necessarily be. And if it's not, then that's kind of a failing on that story, in my opinion. Well, and, and like there, you also have, you know, going with what we're talking, though, is you have the what do you want to say? Because of maybe, again, this is going more into long form storytelling. But like I realized this watching Yellowstone, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Have you watched all of that or did you kind of check out at some point? I, I haven't watched any of it. And till I get around to it, I, okay. I honestly don't care if you're going to if you're going to spoil it, I would warn our audience because I'm sure a lot of our audience is watching it. But... I don't want to, to full on spoil it. But this kind of illustrates, though, if, if you've watched it, you'll understand what I mean in that you have. I'm not even going to call them characters so much as sides in that Mm -hmm. story, in those stories that are initially opposed and then gradually realize, well, okay, we don't like each other, but we both don't like him and he doesn't like either of us. So we'll work together. And then it almost seems like, at least right now, they're coming to a point where they're realizing they may have more common ground than either of them realized. And so, well, they maybe were initially the villain, a villain or an antagonist, or yeah, I guess that's probably a better word in that context. But, you know, now they're sort of this uneasy alliance that, well, we're not really friends, but we kind of want the same, same ish things for different reasons. Right. Well, that's just good storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, but like I said, that's, yeah. I, I could talk because I, I recently, my wife and I kind of binged the first four seasons of that. And it's interesting. I really enjoyed it. And I'll leave it at that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's some of that's the crux of certain mob movies or like The Sopranos does that a lot where we're not friends, but we're not necessarily enemies. We're sort of aligned against a common, a common enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and, Bad guys doing that with your players isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this, whether you let your players know that they're a bad guy that they're aligned with right now is completely up to you. Because I have absolutely done it where my players have worked with a character that they were like, oh, yeah, we're just going to help them out to later find out that, oh, well, uh, uh, their morals are completely misaligned and I'm. I am not helping you like, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. that's a story that you can tell. And that that's a fun, 
that's a fun game to play with your players is is to just pull the rug out from under them and be like ha ha so while we're kind of in that media inspired like directly thing got a couple other i'm gonna call it types of of villains maybe Mm -hmm. to bring up just to to pick your brain as to maybe how you might use them in in a role-playing context and one would be i guess you'd maybe call them like a like a legendary villain or or a mythic villain and by this i'm specifically thinking of kaiser sose you know from what was it the usual suspects right you know where kaiser sose is this big mythical thing only talked about in legends you know can you can you use that at an rpg yes yeah i i know you can and i i have personally i use it in in Dungeons and Dragons does this really well. That's actually one of the things I'll, I'll give them a lot of props for that. Dungeons and Dragons tells this kind of story really well because when you're doing your, your prepping, right? When you're mm-hmm. doing your, your system prep or not system prep, when you're doing your story prep, you can write in, maybe you're not even just doing full story prep, right? Let's think on a smaller scope, right? You're working on this arc of the story for a long running campaign. Mm-hmm. They go to a town. In this town, they have like a local legend, right? Mm-hmm. In that local legend, it talks about, well, yeah, there was this lich. He was a bad guy. You know, it was a problem. Now we're talking about, oh, well, what happened? Well, he was, he went away. Oh, well, where did he go away to? Well, we don't really know. Okay, there's your setup. Because mm-hmm. remember, storytelling is all about setup and follow through. Mm-hmm. Chekhov's gun, right? Anytime you see a gun, assume the gun is going to be you, right? Mm-hmm. So you you set up the myth of this guy, and you have multiple options on where you can go with it. You can either A, and, and this is one of my favorite options to do. It really only works, again, once, but nobody... You, know, you do it once, and it, it gets an entire pop off at a table. Set up a mythic bad guy. Have your players go do whatever adventure, right? Everything around the setup, this mythic bad guy is not necessary. You have them go do whatever, whatever menial task they need to do. They encounter a person, a being, uh, anything, right? Mm -hmm. This person is very kind to them. They're very nice. They help them get what they want. In return, they start making good repertoire with this person right this becomes Mm -hmm. a very helpful npc in the world to the players to which this npc now goes hey have you ever been to the town of blah 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 oh yeah we were just through there we actually when we met you we were doing a task for the barkeep oh so and so yeah i i know them and so you're like well you know it's a long stretch back to the town why don't you help me go back to this town Sure. They escort the bad guy into town. Everybody loses their mind. That's the bad guy. That's the bad guy. Now your players have a, a, a moral conundrum, mm-hmm. right? Because you heard all these stories about how this is a bad guy, but they've been really nice to us. They've helped us do good things. Well, now, now you've set up a legendary villain. Your players are sort of empathetic towards them. And Maybe the legendary villain starts pushing your players to do things, asking your players to do things kindly and not really thinking about it. And your players will do certain tasks willingly without realizing. 
then you you build all of this to one big aha moment. I played you. You're all fools. My grand scheme has been enacted. I'm doing the thing. Ha ha. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now you have a legendary villain that you build up that the players then assisted because they were like, no, you're wrong. There's no way he's this type of person or they're that type of person to which your players have now done all these things and helped the villain tell, help the villain succeed in their goals. Now the players are in, now we're in the, the middle portion of the story, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. We have now reached the point in which the villain has succeeded, which is the exact middle point of most heroes journey stories. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now the players have to come up with a plan to stop that. Now the players absolutely hate this guy because how dare he manipulate us and make us do the evil thing. Mm -hmm. And that takes that legend status that you had set up previously and just concretes it right into their brain. <laughs> right. So it's, 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 that's in my opinion, one of the best way to do that type of, that type of villain. The second option is just have the town set up the villain, have the villain show up and either either that villain is an absolute cakewalk and the players defeat them if it's so this is another thing if the fight is easy enough most players won't actually kill the bad guy they okay. will show mercy mm -hmm. players show mercy they say throw him in a jail joker escapes from jail does even worse things right mm -hmm. <laughs> now the players have to go back and defeat the bad guy Except the bad guy is harder to defeat this time. The bad guy isn't pulling his punches. It's not, they're not playing weak, right? He also knows them a little bit. Right. Knows their strengths. Knows what they do. Knows how to counter them in a way, right? Mm -hmm. That's another way of doing that, like legendary villain, where you're setting up the idea that this is a, a legendary bad guy who is way too powerful for the townspeople. And you're just like, I don't understand how you could say he was way too powerful to townspeople. Why we defeated him in like two minutes. Well, yeah, well, maybe he just wandered through, you know, a horde of something else trying to take him on. I think one of my things with villains is I always like my villains to be smarter than my players. And sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes I do have to play villains that are dumb as rocks. Well, but I, I, a lot of times want my villains to be, like I said, smarter than my players. I want my villains to outsmart my players in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that just, it's, it's a, it's a fault that I've always fallen into with my, my writing is I, I really prefer villains that are way too smart for their own good. But that's, you're not the only one that does that. I think that's a common trope in fiction in general. And I yeah. think it's a good thing to have smart villains. You know, that, that makes I'm them not, more real. Right. I'm not saying, I'm not saying always have dumb villains, but I, what I am more driving at is, uh, I don't know. I, I, tropes are good and tropes are bad. And if it's a constant trope that you're falling into, you really need to change it up a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of those tropes that I know for myself that I'm, I'm always falling into that trope. Mm -hmm. Like. I, I've I've been working very hard to get away from it, but I know for myself that that's one of those things that, yeah, I tend to 
I tend to fall into wanting to grab villains that are that are too smart for the room and wanting to play the villain that is just I'm smarter than everybody else here and I need to work on that because it does it makes you predictable okay mm-hmm. that's that's my thing is that like as a GM as a DM you need to try and be less predictable but I also talk about the fact that me and you have had conversations in the past of like I'm pretty sure that in most I, I know for a fact that in most cases, if you take the very core of a story and just change the names, nobody will notice. Mm-hmm. Like if I take the core story of, of say star Wars, change all the names and a little bit of the setting, nobody would notice that I stole that story. Right. Yeah. If I take the core of like sons of anarchy and change the characters around a little bit, nobody's going to be like, Hey, this is just sons of anarchy. What? No. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we, we worry too much. Like, I'm not saying this is somebody, I'm not saying somebody who wants to publish something should be doing this, but I'm saying that like, if you're just playing a home game, you were, we worry too much about, oh man, I, I got to make sure I disguise this better. Right. Well, I think that's, you know, we talked about this a little bit. I don't remember what episode it was, but where as GMs, we forget that we're the ones who know all the background behind it. And I like the technique that that you mentioned you use where you ask your players what happened last time. Mm -hmm. And that lets you see a little more of what's going on through their eyes. Right. And, and so where you're going, Oh my God, it might, it's it. How can you not see this turn coming? You also, you wrote the turn. (laughs) Right. You are the reason the turn exists. And that, yeah, that's something that you just have to, that's what I, I, I've talked about it before and, and I'll say it again, stepping back from the table, taking a breath and, and, you know, you can tell serious stories, but don't take yourself so seriously sometimes, right? Mm. Everybody needs a, a bit of a joke once in a while, right? Like somebody on TikTok, and I, I, this is a tangent, I don't really care. Somebody on TikTok asked what the importance of a shopping episode is, right? What's the importance of going shopping with your party? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple things. The first thing that comes to mind is there is no, there is no maybe narrative importance to going shopping, but there is importance of going shopping for character development. It lets your players be, it lets your, your players characters be, who they are, right? Like mm-hmm. gives you a little glimpse into if there weren't shopping episodes, we wouldn't know who if we didn't spend any amount of time, we wouldn't know about a lot of the stories that we know about, right? Like mm-hmm. there's only so much that you can tell in combat, out of combat, and sitting around a campfire. Sometimes you need your players to take a breath and know that they're in a safe place and be able to just exist in a safe place. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having a villain show up and interrupt that maybe one of the things I'll say is that having a couple of those and then having one or maybe two interrupted by a villain really gets your players exasperated by that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, that's a good way to build a, a, a decent bad guy is to be like, well, you guys wanted to go shopping, but uh, because because when you were out shopping, the bad guy blew up the shops, there's nothing left here. And now your players are like, man, I needed components and I needed 
ammo and I needed, you know, like mm-hmm. we needed this day to go get our stuff. I didn't need him to come and blow up this entire city block. Oh, well, that's a, a hook all in itself though. Right. Is if, right. if your players have latched onto this storekeeper, now you have one of your, your antagonists do something to them. Right. They haven't done anything to your players actually, other than maybe inconvenience them. But that's a, a, another way to kind of gauge where your players are at. Right. And and like I said, the, the shopping episodes give your players time to develop their character, especially in the players that like, I love when I see a player sit down at the table and send me like, here's a five page document of my players, but of my character's background. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's so great because I'm going to take that. I'm going to throw that into my world. I'm going to make sure everything lines up. I'm going to ask you questions about it. Hey, I see here you list siblings. What do you have? Two sisters, a brother, and an aunt? What? Like, what do we got here? Maybe I'm going to take one of those characters. You know, I don't know. You don't know. But maybe. Or, or you know, I see you had a dog when you were five. What kind of dog was it? Right? <laughs> like, it's it's all about making your players feel more Im- more immersed in the world. And... It's great to have those players that want to sit down and give you a background. It's also good when the players that don't know what their character's background is to give them the time to basically improvise that, right? And that's what a shopping episode... I know this tangented off into the importance of shopping episodes, but that's what a shopping episode really does, is it gives the players that didn't necessarily have a background for their character time to realize how their character fits into this world as a person. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's important. That's, that's very important. And giving your players time to, to improvise time to be characters, time to role play is, is very important in this game that is, is half role playing and half game. Right. Mm hmm. Like the, the, the genre is called a role-playing game mm-hmm. and there, I'm, there are many games out there and I'm not faulting on any of them that are mostly role-playing with a very small amount game. And there are a lot of games out there that are mostly game with a very small amount of role-play, but giving your players to do the ability to do both is very, very important. And I think we forget that sometimes and using that time that they're doing their role-playing you as the gm need to be taking little notes scribbling down like i i have personally a a page for each one of my characters that are playing each one of the players that are playing in my game with their character's name and then as story develops and as background develops i put like bullet points of agent smith had a family once but they're no longer in the picture Jensen is is very intrigued with mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. Like terrified of water. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. like just little stuff like that. And as my players are playing, I'm taking those kind of notes and I'm just just doop 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 and building out what I can use based on the knowledge that they've put into the world to manipulate the players into either really hating a bad guy having a reason they want to, you know, bring change to the world, all of those things. It could be as simple as, I just want to be rich and famous. Well, if a bad guy shows up and is like, 
I will make sure that you guys die broke nobodies. That's <laughs> that's enough of a that's enough of a drive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a, a, a bad guy shows up and goes, I just like if you're if your one character's whole goal in life is to be rich, rich and, and famous and, and the bad guy shows up and goes, I'll make sure that you die a, a broke nobody that nobody's ever heard of. Well, if your player's drive is strong enough, that's enough of a reason for them to be like, I got to stop this guy. Yeah. Right. Like I got I got to do something about him. And, and maybe in the, you know, in the good end in in the drive to stop that guy we're getting to you know by the end of it you are famous you are rich you are or maybe you're notorious yeah. maybe you're not you know you wanted to be famous well you are famous <laughs> do the ends that that your players took to defeat your villain end up making them folk villains in their own right right because for every that's the thing i i don't understand about star wars every <laughs> single planet we visit the empire is a bad place there's got to be one planet where they were like yeah you know it really sucks that the empire fell (laughs) you know what i'm you know what i'm saying though like yeah there's got to be one place where they're like hey you know we benefited from it uh (laughs) like you know that's all i'm saying is like there's you got to think like yeah there's two sides to every story and Right. We only ever see one side of that one, really. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I want to know, and I'm sure there's, and and please feel free to come at me and be like, well, in the expanded lore, it says that this planet, great, please, thank you. I love the engagement. Um, yeah, come to the Discord. <laughs> come to the Discord. Message me on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> send me angry tweets. I don't care, but like, there's just got to be somewhere that was like, you know, was it so bad under Vader? Like Palpatine <laughs> took pretty good care of us here. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. And, and that's another thing is that making your players, your villains are, Oh man, that's so fun. It's so fun to make your players, the villains, especially that the moment when they realize it. Oh, are we the bad guy? We're the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> so not to, to, Grind that to a screeching halt, but I had one other note that I made here while, while we were talking before. No, I, I sort of came to the end of that anyways. So. <laughs> okay, good. So this is one, and, and I don't know that you can do this in every system, but like this one I can think would work particularly well, specifically in Eberron, and that is what I'm going to call a legacy villain. And depending on how you want to do it, you could do it in, in, a, in almost any system, but I'm thinking this in the specific name I'm going to bring up is the Dread Pirate Roberts from Princess Bride. But in that, what I'm saying is it's a figurehead villain that is not always the same actual being. Mm. And like in Eberron, you could do this so easily with like a changeling society, Mm -hmm. you know, or and I'm sure there are other ways you could do that. But I think that could be a fun thing to play with course i suppose in like a cyberpunk setting you could do it via plastic surgery put your villain in a mask that works too yeah that's that's all you gotta do you put your villain in a mask it's the he's not the villain but v for vendetta right Mm -hmm. uh v for vendetta he wears that mask the entire movie nobody knows who he is everybody could be v right like that's the point and and it works in almost any setting like eberron it does work really well with changelings but like i said just throw him in a mask and you're going to be surprised at how easily you can get away with that. 
just like how uh just just like how the players aren't going to notice that you change names the characters in world are not going to notice that that character that's the the bad guy that's speaking is now maybe three inches shorter than the last one fair but yeah i i so you were just trying to like imply how you could do that or well it was just just bringing it up as a type of villain oh like, yeah you yeah. just you know the i the mask idea like you said makes it so simple and that that had completely slipped my mind yeah but yeah that's another way though that like well you thought you'd be defeated him but yeah have you watched have you watched joker no okay yeah when you get a chance i recommend it it's it's very good yeah no just throw in a villain in a mask it, man that works it, it does it, it just it your your players are going to be like oh we got to stop dread pirate roberts well who's dread pirate roberts you know as soon as they take off that mask they disappear right okay here's here's another twist you can pull with that that just kind of came to mind okay so you 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 chase the guy in the mask down you defeat him you take the mask and as you so to speak present your evidence that you have the mask to to the townspeople or or whatever they accuse you of being the villain well no well they could do that or you have someone else takes up you know and this works mm-hmm. especially if you're not using an incredibly intricate mask or anything like that but as they're doing this you know someone else from whatever puts on another one of those masks and does something while you're standing there holding it. So now you look like a fraud. You look like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is absolutely an option. (laughs) And, and it works. It works every time. Yeah. That's, that's a cool one. I haven't played with in a minute. I have in the past just been like perfect example of this. Are you ready? Sure. You may not have seen the movie, but you know, of screen. I know of it. Yes. I never watched the movie. Okay. Scream is this exact premise. You have different people in the same mask trying to fulfill basically the same goal. And that is, that is the exact premise of like scream and it works really, really well. And you don't even necessarily have to have the, while you're holding the mask, it makes you look like a fraud or whatever. You can just have it come back. Mm-hmm. have that mask haunt your players nightmares have them constantly worried about that mask coming back and it being such an innocuous thing that in the case of scream that mask is literally one of the most the reason it was picked is because it was the one of the most common ghost masks that you could find like they literally went to a, a, a halloween store and were like we want this and we got to reach out to the company to get permission to use it but we want this as our mask Mm -hmm. and that's if you want good villains and you have the stomach for it go to horror movies and start stealing the villains out of horror movies because then you'll get some really fantastic villains well i'm surprised you haven't dropped one of your go-tos yet this this conversation which one wrestling oh yeah well wrestling wrestling is Wrestling's great if you want one of your if if you're if you're looking for villains that are over the top, wrestling is fantastic. But no, if you're looking for serious villains, going to like horror movies is is the way to go. Look at like Michael Myers. The Halloween franchise would really help you in in figuring out, oh yeah, I, I can steal that, you know, he's just a a unflinching beast. 
He doesn't talk. He just doesn't discriminate. It is just unflinching. You know, Jason Voorhees, or you want to have a character that's got a smart mouth, watch some Friday the 13th movies. If you want to know a very good detective style character, go watch the Scream franchise. All of those movies are really good. Mm -hmm. That's the type of thing that you steal for a good villain. And, And yeah, wrestling is fine. I'm not saying wrestling is bad, but I am saying that wrestling villains are they're they're over the top. They're goofy. They're silly. They're loud. You know, you that's true. I hadn't thought of it in that context, but you're right. Wrestling is very much a caricature. Yes. And while it's good for for maybe seeing the macro tools for more nuanced things, it may not be the greatest source. I'm not saying that it's not a great source. If you're if you're telling that kind of story, it's fine. But if you're not telling that kind of story and you want a more serious character, then there are better places to get that from. Fair. Anything else you got for me? Um, You want to talk a little bit more about writing? Maybe we could. I guess like for me, and, and one thing I've discovered, and this, this kind of goes into what we were talking about at the top with making your villains people, your bad guys making them real people, is I've discovered that for me, if I'm trying to write a, a campaign setting, we'll say, or or a story for my head to be able to kind of function in that space and really get ideas. I have to go back and create some setup. Okay. Like I have to go back and I, because just the way that I've learned that my brain works, I'm very much a, how does it work person? Mm-hmm. You know, if you show me a machine, I don't go, Oh, I push the button and the thing comes out. You go, I'm like, Oh, well, okay. So I push this button and that does it, this and this and that, you know what I mean? Like I'm very much a disassemble the process into its component processes person. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I've, I've in this kind of, I just sort of realized it fairly recently that if, if I'm going to go try and write something, I can't just, or it's very, very difficult for me to just pull this thing out of a vacuum. I may get an idea, but then to be able to flesh it out, I need to go back and create a history of, of this setting, we'll say, or this, this in, in a setting, I don't necessarily mean like a whole new setting. Even we'll say if it's like for a cyberpunk, I need to kind of create some backstory for the story that the players are going to see for myself so that I have an idea of how things are going to move depending on what the players do. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. And it's one of those things where for a long time, I think I struggled with that because I'm going, but this isn't relevant. I don't need to be spending time on things that are relevant. I don't have a lot of time. If I spend times on things that aren't relevant, that's less time I have to spend on irrelevant things. But what I've begun to learn here is that in spending that time on the things that are technically irrelevant, it makes the relevant things come to me. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, that's been a, just a kind of, like I said, a realization that has, this helped me a little bit very recently that, and, and just trying to do some things to kind of get my head in a space near what it is that I want to create. You know, that could be music. That could be maybe kind of watching something on TV. You know, it could be any number of things. So, for me, when I write, 
and again, I said this at the top, but I'll say it again. Everybody's different, right? Everybody mm -hmm. writes differently. Everybody has a different process. And mine and your process are slightly different. I do have to have that, like, I mean, you do sort of think about things on how they work, but you're, and, and I don't mean this to be rude, you're a mechanic and I'm a programmer, okay? Mm -hmm. You're all about the actual physical workings. Mm -hmm. And I'm more about the logical workings. Mm -hmm. So when I write, I'm basically writing a bunch of if that else statements, right? Mm -hmm. If X, then Y, else W, right? Else mm -hmm. Z, right? And so when I'm when I'm sitting down to write and I'm going, I need to get myself in this headspace. I'm with you there on the I got to have music. I got to have a little bit of inspiration of some kind. That's just, that is, that is a, a thing that I, I absolutely agree with you. Like today, you know, this, I've been working on a, a game set in Pittsburgh. What did I do? Well, Going one of Irish. the more, what was that? My Irish. Well, yeah, but one of the more notable things about Pittsburgh is that there used to be a very good classic rock station. So what am I listening to? I'm listening to seventies, eighties, nineties, rock right mm -hmm. and i'm listening to pittsburgh rock guys from pittsburgh and and stuff around that so i'm building my world around i'm building my world around that and having that in the back of my mind while simultaneously building these if that else statements and also i agree with you on the having to start with the non-essential things are important but the non-essential things are what fill out your world. And I think that's when a world feels hollow, it's because you've made a beeline from, from the, you, you made a beeline and missed all of the little details. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love about running RPGs for new players is when you, when you tell, when they finally, it, it finally clicks in their brains, what questions to ask. And they ask you all of the frivolous questions. Right. <laughs> it is the what color is the roof of that building? Oh, I don't know. I'll spit out red, orange, terracotta. But I hadn't thought about that. But right. they're thinking about those details. They're like trying to build the image. And like some people are trying to build the image in their head. And I'm that exact same way. What's the layout of this room like? Well, I hadn't really thought about it. Well, okay. Is there a chair in the corner? Yeah, there's a chair in the corner. Is there a, is there a TV set? Is there a set of stairs off to the one side? What's, you know, it's the what questions that aren't necessarily important to the entire plot of your story, but those are what fill out that world and make it feel lived in. Yeah. Well, and I think like if you have some of that, that background information, then in your own head, when you get those questions that you hadn't actually thought of, you've got more to stand on other than just, uh, the roofs are blue. Right. Or, you know, like that's not the greatest thing for that, but like, yeah, you've got that, you know, your world better than just what is. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And, and those background questions are just as important as the foreground questions. Like I said, it, it is, in my opinion, when you're working on a story, it, it is important that you keep really depending on length. Okay. And, and I, this is another thing. 
short mid-length campaigns like it's not you don't have to have all the details ironed out but having those background questions asked and spending time on what you might consider frivolous in the in the short is actually more beneficial than spending time on the the main line right Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is again when you're running these shorter campaigns, when you're running a mid-length campaign, when you're running a long campaign, unless it's a tonal thing, you don't really want your world to feel empty. You right. want it to feel lived in. There's constantly, like, I know this is, like, cliche to say, but go outside. There are things everywhere that make your world feel lived in, right? There's a road that runs in front of my house. I know people drive on that road. Because of that, there's a pothole, right? Mm-hmm. That's a little frivolous nothing thing in the grand scheme of the fact that Darth Vader is pointing the Death Star at my house. But it is important because when Darth Vader is not pointing the Death Star at my house and I'm in my carriage and I'm bouncing down the road, I hit that pothole and my magic MacGuffin goes flying out and into the woods. <laughs> oh, well, I got to go get the thing. Well, right. you know, it. it's, you know, it's, it's. Giving your world character, giving everything character, it's, it is so important. And like I said, making things feel lived in. The reason Tatooine is such a cool place is not because it's a giant desert planet, but it's because you have all of these weird roving gangs of like Jawas or not, or uh, not Jawas. You got Uh, those two sand people. Yeah. Sand people. And then you have like Moss Eisley's which is wretched hive of scum and villainy <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about that place. What's the first thing we do when we get to Moss Eisley's, we go to a bar <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know about this place. We didn't go, we didn't go to the Moss Eisley's like trip. You know, we didn't go to the Moss Eisley's ladies club. We went to the cantina. Mm-hmm. where there's a band playing music and people are getting in bar fights and there, somebody just shot a blaster over there. When I ask no questions about that, mm-hmm. tell me that the cantina doesn't feel more lived in because of all the little side things going on. Right. Well, yeah, but none of those things are important to, to continuing the story. The entire right. bit of Luke sitting at the bar and having a bar fight, like cutting that guy's arm off, is not or not Luke cutting that guy's arm off, but that entire bit is not important to any of the main story because we're here to meet Han Solo, who's over in the corner. If we walked into Moss Eisley's and made a beeline to Han Solo, that entire scene is pointless. Mm-hmm. And so that that you know that's I know we've been talking a lot about Star Wars, but it's not just that, right? It's it's other things like that. But it's it's an example of what we're talking about that everyone can relate to, or most yeah, everyone can. Mostly everyone can. You walk into a room and that's another example of a minor villain. Mm -hmm. The guy that's like, my friend over there doesn't like you. Oh, well, too bad for him. Well, I don't like you either. That's a minor villain. Yeah, you're not wrong. That's that's he's not important to the story. He doesn't progress the narrative in any way. I understand that he had some sort of history and there's some extra stuff in the books. There's extra stuff everywhere. But anyways, that guy isn't important. However, he does set up a few things, right? He sets up this world that is hostile and angry and irritated, you know, Mm -hmm. like. Well, just just kind of underscores 
you know, this is a place where Han is lounging in the corner, but this is a bad place. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yep. <laughs> it is. It is. That, that is one of the best lines in a piece of media I have ever seen for describing a location. <laughs> it, it legitimately is. I, I cannot. It, it is so good for describing a location. It, 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 it but yeah, again, it, it gives that world. It makes that world feel lived in. And without all those little details, none of that feels lived in. You walk into a place, you talk to Han, you walk out of the place. The little interaction with Jabba at the Millennium Falcon, we don't have that. I mean, it's not necessary setting up Jabba the Hutt, but oh well. If we don't have the little interaction with Han and Jabba, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't progress the story at large, but it does progress the world. You go, oh. Well, that he owes money everywhere. Then <laughs> all of the details that you feel are frivolous, and there are details that are frivolous. You don't have to write down what color the room is that the people are standing in. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm sure in the heat of the moment you can come up with that. Right. But adding is the bar packed or is the bar empty? Is it smoky in here or is it very fresh? What does it smell like? That's a big thing that people often over overlook. Smells are one of our most recognized senses. Right. Yeah. And describing the smell of a room can put somebody somewhere immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that you would often look at it and go, well, that's, that's a frivolous detail. Well, it's not, it's, it's not a frivolous detail at all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes that can can communicate something and everyone knows what it is, although you can't define it any other way. Like, you know, when you say, oh, that smells like wet dog. We all know what mm-hmm. that is. But if I were to try to describe to someone what wet dog smelled like. Yeah, you couldn't. There's no way. Some of my favorite, some of my favorite books, you know, I, I they're pulp novels, but they're great. Uh, Dresden Files. Jim Butcher uses a lot of smell to describe things. It smells like burnt, matted, wet hair. You know that exact smell. It's gross. Mm-hmm. You know what that smells like. I may not have smelled burnt, wet, matted hair, but I can assume, based on my experience with burnt hair and wet hair and, and gross, matted hair, that that is going to smell disgusting. Right. right. And sounds describing a, a, a sound that a thing makes can really make or break a scene. And I know this is way off of villains, but adding those descriptors can help your writing just in general. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been working on a couple things. You asked me how I'm, how I'm making it, you know, how, how I can take and, and get my thoughts down a lot of it is what people would consider filler. But when you actually read stuff, you realize that when, when you actually read like the type of thing I'm working on, you realize that it's not filler. It's how you make a product that feels lived in. Right. Yeah. It's, it's how you give character. Like I'm, I'm, I'm basically working on a setting guide or a setting document. And it's basically, it's an, it's a place, it's a setting, it's a world, it's a, you know, 
X, but how do you make a world feel lived in? Well, you got to give it characters. Well, how do you give it characters when you're trying not to influence the, when you're trying not to influence the GM? Well, you're giving it character by giving the places character. Yeah, it's, it's flavor, not just the nutritional value. Right. There's a reason that protein bars taste like ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and like I said, the the scenes in Star Wars, if we cut all of the fluff out of the beginning scenes of Star Wars, it, if we were to cut the fluff out of the beginning of Star Wars, it opens with Darth Vader interrogating a bunch of guys on that uh, on that Corvette. Mm-hmm. Princess Leia getting captured. Cut to Luke, who's like in the middle of nowhere, bumps into Obi Wan, who's like. Hey man, you're uh we gotta go save the galaxy, who then goes and picks up Han Solo in the cantina without any of the anything. Like that movie goes from a couple hours long to 40 minutes mm-hmm. real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's where to a certain point what you were talking about before about borrowing and copying stuff, if you distill it down to that and then build your own flavor back onto it. That's where it becomes unrecognizable. Yeah, that's how you get stuff to be unrecognizable. No, exactly. You're right. As far as beg, borrow, and steal, in order to do that, you just steal the just and then add your own flavor. Mm-hmm. Water is the core building block to a lot of ingredients. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I, so, And that's the same for your villains. Water is the core building block to a lot of ingredients. Your villains... You can beg, borrow, and steal, and you just steal their motivations. Make mm-hmm. the villain your own. Add little details. I think, wasn't it John Wick? The bad guy in John Wick eats cereal. Like, he eats spoonfuls of cereal and then drinks milk. Like, <laughs> isn't that a thing? I don't remember. But, yeah, there's a... I, I remember, you know, basically, it's this little detail that, like, why... Who asked for that detail? Nobody, but we put it in there because it makes him weird and villainous. Mm-hmm. Villainous. Blech. I couldn't spit that word out. <laughs> but we've said a lot this episode. Yes, we have. We said a lot. Whether anyone else can understand it, well, most of it, I think, was mostly coherent. So Yeah, I think we were coherent. I, I think we've we've covered a good basis. Since we have covered our bases, if you haven't checked us out, we are, all as always, on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Patreon, Discord. Follow us any of those places. Really come check out our Discord. It's a good place to hang out. There's always conversations happening. Me and you are always in the Discord. I'm trying, like, genuinely trying to be better about interacting in our Discord, but I'm always around. I see what you people say about me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, do the like, subscribe, leave us reviews on iTunes, wherever, if you really like the show, or I mean, give us some stars on iTunes, because if you really like the show, that would really benefit us. iTunes goes based off ratings and suggests based off ratings. And we're always trying to grow our audience and, and, and make this community better. So the ability to grow the audience based off of just having it recommended to people out of the blue is is one of those things that I really highly recommend. So, yeah, with all that being said, I think it's time for Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. Well, you know my game of the week. You want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. I've forgotten what you told me, but 
I'm going to go with one, and I'm going to send you a link to it because I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. Oh, okay. And even if I don't, you're probably not going to be able to spell it right to find it. Oh, so okay. <laughs> my game of the week, and I actually stumbled across this this evening, and I'm really curious about it. It's called Tenra Bancho Zero, Heaven and Earth Edition. Now, what this is, as near as I can tell, trying to put together things from the dates, somewhere in the early 2000s, Japanese artist and game designer named, again, pardon my pronunciation, but Junichi Inu sat down to create what he intended as a quote-unquote hyper-Asian Japanese world of magic and technology, of samurai, tower sorcery, powerful mecha, cultured geisha, and the name of this game, this world, was Tenra, and the game being named Tenra Bonsho, I guess, translates to everything in heaven and earth. And what this $12 PDF on drive-thru, which, by the way, you get two versions of the PDF. The one version is almost 700 pages of the original art-filled text, which, I mean, they're saying over 300 unique pieces of art, 30-some full-color manga pages. The quick preview is amazing. I don't even know if I want this for the actual game so much as I just want to see it and and absorb it as a resource. But it comes in two formats. You get the, you know, the art filled which is also formatted in graphic novel size, which would mean it read really 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 nicely on a tablet, and then you also get a standard A4 sized print like like text only format of it. So you can print it out easily if you want to use it that way. So I yeah. mean, like, and for 12 bucks, like I said, I think this is, I, I want it to look at it for the art. And I think I want it as a reference. You know, it does say it uses a simple D6 based rule system, you know, but like I said, this just looks like one of those things that for $12 for the PDF, I don't know how you can not check it out. Yeah, it's definitely cool. I dig it. But yeah, that's called, uh, Tenra Bancho. Tenra Bancho Zero, Heaven yep. and Earth Edition. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes like we always do, because, yeah, you're yeah. probably not going to spell it right based on my pronunciations. And we're probably not pronunciating that right, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I have a game <laughs> based on my recent foibles in the world of uh, employment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a game called Minimum Rage. Uh-huh which is a comedy horror RPG for two to six players. It is, it is a game where slackers and losers have to save the world from evil while making sure they don't lose their retail jobs. As someone who's had a retail job in the past and is probably going to end up having another one, this game sounds hilarious. Oh my. I cannot express how fun this game looks. Uh, for pans, for some Pauly Shore movies, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Clerks, The Evil Dead, and other horror comedies and slacker media. This is by World Champ Game Company. Uh, the author is uh, Adam Voss. And and I sort of stumbled across this because they are working on a couple other projects. Caught my eye. But man, this looks awesome. Minimum Rage. Definitely, definitely something to check out. Goofy looks great. I am, it's eight bucks for the PDF on drive-thru 
and uh, I have exactly eight dollars in my bank account. So that that is a that's a hard sell right now, and I think it's it's sold it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this game just looks fun. It, oh, it, it does. It, it 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 look. I mean, it's been ages since I worked retail, but I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I could just I. I can think of some fun with this game and, and I just, I want it. I'm going to get it. Well, and even if you haven't worked retail, you've witnessed retail. Yeah. You've been to a retail shop, you know, or your friends have worked retail. I mean, seriously, everybody, I I believe everybody should have to work retail at least once in there. (laughs) It's a, it's a good thing for the world. It makes you respect retail workers a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but with, all that being said, we do want to thank you all for listening. I know we we thank you all a lot. We broke up over ten thousand total downloads today, and yeah, I don't, I don't think I didn't. I not that I didn't think we would make it there, but it's kind of daunting when you actually think about that. Yeah, yeah, ten thousand downloads. That's it's crazy. It's just genuinely crazy. And everyone that's listened over the years, whether you like us or not over the well year and some change but everyone that's listened to us whether you like us or not i thank you for listening and and like we sign out on most well almost all of the episodes at this point i want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some rpgs yep thank you and take care y'all Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Every story is... Mono- <laughs>